Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. And in that region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy, which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And, you will, and, you, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. I know, some of you th- are thinking right now, I've lost my mind. Does Father know it's not Christmas? It's Holy Week? Yes, yes, I know. All right. Yes, the Father knows. Here's the thing. Uh, Father's been praying the last two weeks, Lord, what do you want to say to your people Holy Thursday? What part of the Gospels, what part of the readings, what part of the liturgy do you want me to hone in on? And that was the Gospel that the Lord kept bringing to my heart. This section from Luke chapter 2, this is the Gospel, this is the section the Lord convicted me with. And I sat with it, I sat with it. And here's the thing, if we're going to enter in, I think, if we're going to respond with understanding to the question that Jesus asks, after he puts his clothes back on, after he he puts his robes back on, he looks at his friends and he says, do you realize what I've done for you? If we're going to respond with any amount of answer or understanding to that question, we have to see, we have to try to see the connections between the Old Testament prophecies and the prototypes of the Old Testament, and their fulfillments in the New Testament. We have to see how it's all fulfilled in Christ, and not just fulfilled in Christ at the end of his life, but it's fulfilled in Christ right from the very beginning of his life. In other words, what does the Last Supper, right? What we're commemorating tonight, the Mass of the Lord's Supper, what is the Last Supper and the Paschal Mystery, more broadly speaking, what does that have to do with Abraham and Isaac? What does it have to do with Moses and the Israelites? What does that have to do with the shepherds in the field and the nativity story and John the Baptist and the Eucharist? Not to mention that faithful day of our first parents in Eden all the way back at the beginning of our story. That's what I want to talk about tonight. So we're going to be here a while. Buckle up, settle in. Everything is what I want to talk about tonight. So this is where we're going to start. This chapter 2 from Luke's Gospel that I began with. What's the deeper significance? Like, why is it? Why would it be that God would first announce the birth of the Son of God? Why would it be to shepherds? Why to shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night? Who were these shepherds? Why should they have had this honor? And have you ever wondered why, of all the signs, of all the signals, of all the, yeah, of all the signs to be given, why would it be that a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths would be a sign? Why would that be a sign to them? Let's start with that. Let's start there. So these shepherds, they were not just country boys taking care of the, sh- the flocks. They weren't just like first century hillbillies, like just taking care of the sheep at night. These were temple shepherds. Think about that. These were temple shepherds. They had a very specific role in the ritual life of Israel. They were the ones who raised the sheep that were offered in temple sacrifice. 
Specifically, they were the ones who raised the lambs that were the Passover lambs. See, God was so clear in his instructions that he gave to the people through Moses. We heard it in that first reading. How, like, each family was to procure for itself a lamb, a year old, without blemish, no broken bones, right? This was going to be the sacrifice, a perfect lamb, seemingly perfect lamb, if you will, that that was going to be the lamb sacrifice for the first Passover meal. These shepherds that we just heard about, these shepherds, they took great care to ensure that the newborn baby lambs were without blemish. See, what they would do is the moment that these little baby lambs were born, they would wrap the lambs in cloth. They would swaddle the lambs. Why? To protect their bodies and bones from being injured or broken. Little newborn baby lambs, I don't know if you know this, but their bodies aren't super robust. Their bones break pretty easily. So the shepherds would take great care to wrap them, to protect them, because if their bones were broken, guess what? They couldn't be used in temple sacrifice. These were swaddled lambs. So why did the angel first come to shepherds? Because the Lamb of God was born. The Lamb of God was born, and he was wrapped in swaddling bands, and he was placed in a manger. They would have recognized right away. They would have recognized their, the signs of their own craft. This is what we do. We wrap them in swaddling cloths. They would have recognized immediately that this is who Jesus is. Look, if we're going to have any understanding to the question when Jesus says, do you realize what I have done for you? We have to begin by recognizing who he is. He is the lamb. He is the lamb. He is the answer to the question that Isaac asked centuries before Jesus was born. Remember, Isaac was the only begotten son of Abraham and Sarah. They were in their old age, and God gives them a son, Isaac. Right? Isaac. And when Isaac was 33 years old, how about that for a coincidence? 33. I'm 33. Jesus was 33. When he was 33 years old, God tells Abraham, Abraham, take your son Isaac, your only begotten son, Take him to a mountain that I will point out to you and there offer him as a holocaust to me. So Abraham, being the father in faith, being so unbelievably, unbelievably obedient, he takes his son Isaac a three days march into the wilderness, waiting for God to point out the place. Isaac is carrying the wood of the sacrifice on his back. Does that sound familiar, Catholics, right? The only begotten son hauling the wood of the sacrifice on his back. Abraham's got the fire. He's got the knife. They come to a mountain called Mount Moriah, which in the New Testament, in Jesus' time, that mountain's called Mount Zion. It's Jerusalem. It's also Golgotha. It's the same mountain. So Isaac says to his father, Father, here's the wood and here's the knife and here's the fire for the sacrifice, but where is the lamb? That's the question. Abraham, totally, just completely not comprehending the depth, like the prophetic depth of his response, says to his son, my son, God will provide himself the lamb for the sacrifice, for the offering. This powerful double entendre in what Abraham is saying, because right there, yes, right there off to the side, in a thicket is a ram with its head caught in a thorn bush. The head of the lamb is surrounded by thorns. Again, Catholics, does that sound familiar? So this lamb, this lamb takes the place of the firstborn son, and that becomes the, the prototype. That becomes the pattern that God would establish centuries later after he battles with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Right, this 
battle of gods. That's who God is saying. I am the true God, right? After this battle comes the instructions that precede the 10th plague, the final plague. God says to Moses, every household shall procure for itself a lamb. Again, without blemish. Slaughter it in the evening twilight, meaning about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Slaughter it in the evening twilight and place its blood on the lintel and doorposts of the house. And seeing this blood of the lamb, I will pass over that house, sparing all those inside, but the firstborn of all the Egyptians I will strike down. See, what God is saying is, it's, it's what he said through Isaiah, again, centuries before. I will contend with those who contend with you. Like tonight, I will free you from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I've heard your cry. You who once were slaves, you will be slaves no longer. So this ritual meal that memorialized God's saving action, this Passover Seder that our Jewish brothers and sisters still celebrate to this day, this Passover meal, this was not Israel's idea. It was not as though Israel said after the fact, man, that was awesome. Remember when we were in Egypt, that sucked. And then God brought us out of Egypt, and that was amazing. We should do something to, like, memorialize that. How about a meal? It was not their idea. This was God's idea. God established for himself a memorial, right? He memorialized these events, these events whereby God acted on their behalf. He did something for them that they couldn't have even dreamt of. He went to war for his people. He went to war for his people, and he brought them from the land of slavery to the land of freedom. And furthermore, this meal, through this meal, the Jewish people, what they understood is that through this meal, mystically, powerfully, they became contemporaries with these saving events, so that no matter how many generations after the Exodus, the Jewish people, when they celebrate the Passover Seder, they see themselves as here and now being liberated by God. The word we use for memorial is the Greek word anamnesis. Anamnesis. We're going to hear that word again in the New Testament at the Last Supper, but it means a bringing present. And so for centuries, right, for centuries, the people would pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem for this great feast of Passover. It was one of the great pilgrimage feasts. And what they would do before they got to the cities, they would stop and visit these shepherds, and they would buy for themselves a lamb. And they would bring it to the temple, and they would have it sacrificed. And for centuries, untold, millions of lambs were slaughtered. Their blood splashed on the altar. But these lambs, were in some ways only ever placeholders. Just like that lamb that saved Isaac's life. Like what could the blood of an irrational animal do to ransom and liberate and heal the sins of, of humanity, right? It's just a lamb. What is the blood of a lamb to the sins of men, right? How deep was the wound in our human story? How great was our collective guilt? Here's the question, right? Isaac asked the question, where is the lamb? Where could we get a lamb whose blood was so precious, whose blood was so powerful enough that his blood could literally actually take away the sins of the world? Where do you find that lamb? Where do you buy that lamb? It have to be the lamb of God, right? And centuries pass. And then one day, walking along the banks of the Jordan River, comes a certain man from Nazareth, Yeshua, right? Yeshua from Nazareth. And the Baptist cries out, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Not Israel's Lamb, not humanity's Lamb, but the Lamb of God. 
the lamb that was promised through Abraham's prophetic words. God will provide himself the lamb. They never thought, they never thought, no one ever thought, and don't get yourself, like, don't fool yourself. This is not a rational thought that God would provide himself the lamb, that in this man, this is the one who's capable of making atonement, right? At one mint. That's what the word means, to, that we become one with God again, union with God again, which brings us back to tonight. All right, Christ the Lamb, who was swaddled in the beginning, there he is gathered with his friends to celebrate the Passover. He's celebrating the Passover, but this is the Passover of the Messiah. He's transforming it. He's bringing it to fulfillment. He's liberating his bride, humanity, the church. He's liberating his bride from an enemy far worse than Pharaoh, far worse than any earthly despot we can imagine. He's liberating us from sin and Satan and death. And in the middle of the Passover, Seder, right, which was an established liturgy, Jesus changes it. He changes the words. He doesn't say, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the desert, which were the words. That was the script. He says something else. He says, take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is my body. At which point the apostles are sitting there and they must have been thinking like, like flipping through like, bro, what, what page are you on? Like, did we miss something? Like, that's not what you're supposed to say. And like, by the way, where's the lamb? Like, we got bread and lots of wine. Jesus, where's the lamb? It's a huge, huge missing piece, right? And then the chalice, before they have time to wrap their head around it, then the chalice, and he changes the words again. This is my blood, which will be poured out for you and for many. Do this in memory of me. It's the same word. It's the same word that God used thousands of years earlier in the Exodus when he told Moses, this day, this meal, this ritual will be a memorial feast for you. Friends, like what we're doing here tonight, like what we do Sunday after Sunday, day after day, we didn't invent. Like this isn't, this isn't our invention. What can I do to repay the Lord is what we sang in the psalm. What, what should I do to repay the Lord? There's nothing that I can do. I will offer to God what he's given me. We didn't create this. We received it, which is what St. Paul says. I handed on to you what I myself received. Right? This event, what we do, God acts in a singular way, right? By doing something for us that we could have never imagined that he became the lamb. And he created the means for which, the means by which we can enter into communion and receive him into us, right? To rectify the whole broken mess because it was so broken. He doesn't ask us to bleed. No, he bleeds. He's our lamb. In all of the stories, in all of the stories, the lamb never makes it out alive. It never does. All the lambs in the Old Testament, they never made it out alive. The lamb who is Jesus has come willingly on the night before he was betrayed, he willingly entered. He came to offer everything, right? To ransom us, to rescue us, to liberate us, right? Those words that we just heard in the gospel, John telling of the Last Supper, man, they always get stuck in my throat. It's so powerful. He loved his own in the world, and he loved them to the end. To the end of what? to the end of what was possible. 
Like he loved them to the uppermost, like here, right? This night, as he's gathered with his friends, knowing what's coming, knowing that the scourging and the crowning and the mocking and the torture and the betrayal, knowing that all of that is hours away, he refuses to take his foot off the gas pedal. He does not pull back. He sprints into the passion, loving them to the end. He's doing this for you, not for y'all. For you. He's loving you to the end. And he says, fully aware that the Father had put everything into his power. Right? Jesus sitting there with Judas's foot in his hand, knowing, fully aware, that he is in total control of all of this. That he could have stopped all of this if he wanted, right? He could have said, no, Father, like, why should I suffer for them? It wasn't my sins, it was their sins. Let them sacrifice the lambs. Let them bleed, Father. But he doesn't. The lamb who is our shepherd and the shepherd who is our lamb, he loves us to the end. I want to invite you right now to close your eyes. I want you to hear the Lord saying, like, knowing that I had every option available to me, unlimited power, omnipotent ability, knowing that I could have simply intervened in human history with grace after the fall? Or I I could have simply sent angels to assist the rebel race of humanity. That would have been more than enough. I could have stopped short and just simply given you my word. I could have stopped by just simply giving you the prophets. All of that would have been more than generous. I could have stayed up here, right, in the loving embrace of my Father, But you were too precious to me. Your heart was too precious to me. Your voice in the heavenly choir was too precious to not have. You are why I left heaven. You are why I'm swaddled. You, yes, yeah, you. You have ravished my heart with one glance from your eye. And so I came for you. And I'm here with you right now. Stooping beneath you out of love, I've come to wash you clean. And I'm starting at your feet. I'm starting at your lowest part, your dirtiest part, those parts of your heart and life and story that you most wish to hide away. Friends, you can open your eyes. This Jesus who so casually will be placed upon our hands tonight. He is the lamb, swaddled now tonight in bread. He is love, and he is kneeling at your feet. What wondrous, what wondrous love is this? Lord, help us to realize what it is you've done for us, for me. Amen.